The last one's at the bar. Exclusively talks about the sport of boxing. Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the show where we focus our conversations exclusively on the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm joined by Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. How you fellas doing today? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good uh, this week, this weekend. Uh, Ray talked some boxing. He had one of those weeks where it was kind of long and busy. Uh, at the end, I was like, I don't, I don't feel like talking to nobody, but, uh, but you know, but I got that alert that last ones of the bar was happening. I had to show up, man. I had to do my thing. I feel it, man. I can't complain myself. I actually had a friend come down yesterday. We did brunch and we recorded my other podcast. And then I had brunch with some other friends from out of town this morning. So, you know, I'm I'm like a natural introvert. So I was like, man, my, my social reserve is going to be shot. But when you're with the right people, it's, it's refreshing. You know what I mean? Like it kind of refreshes you versus drains you. So. I'm feeling good, you know, got my high quality H2O, got my yerba mate, so we ready to rock. How you feeling, Will? Well, I'm uh, fatigued, tired, you know, but I would have it no other way, you know what I'm saying? I got a lot of stuff that that's on my plate, and, uh, you know, I try to take care of it piece by piece, and, you know, when it comes time to get those little naps in, I try to get the quick look cat naps in and just move on to the next thing. But I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to talk this boxing, man. It was a good weekend uh, when it came to the sport. And so I'm ready to get it pop. I feel it. So before we get too deep into it, uh, some congratulations are in order. We're about a month behind, but we still going to rock with it. As you guys know, some of you, well, as you guys who've been rocking with us for a while know, we were doing our predictions and tallying up our predictions in a scoring format over the past year. And so for 2022 the final scores for correct predictions was in third place it was me actually with 103 points and in second place was Vel with 107 and with first place our inaugural hebe knowing champ for 2022 was was will so we can give you the floor you know what i mean if you got a speech you got something to say it's all you bro Totally caught me off guard with this one, but first and foremost, I want to thank God, you know, for being able to win such a prestigious award. Um, I also want to like thank Daddy and Vela for being two tough competitors. But we all know what I can generate in the sport of boxing, you know, in the past, the present, the future of the sport. You know, I hear other people, they want to be make predictions uh, when it comes to this, but tell them to bring it on. You know, I don't duck or dodge anybody, you know. I hear that they say that people like Nostradamus and Baba Vanga, you know, they were great prognosticators, you know, but I'm better, you know. Last year was a small portion of what I can do, and uh, this year I'm going to do it even better, you know. You know, they say I'm like the Sadie Hawkins when it comes to slick talk, but I just want to say thank you guys, and I really, really appreciate you honoring me today. Yeah, much deserved, much deserved, and uh, uh, you deserved it, you, you earned it. Like like we said, you know, we do this out of fun, but it can get co- competitive, and, and as you see the the final scores, it can get some closeness there somewhere. It is like man, you know, we we all trying to figure out, you know, how to best predict these fights. So much deserved, you know. I give you a hand. Good job. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, it was cool or whatever. 
No, nah, I'm messing with you. Respect, respect. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats on your little award or whatever. No, nah. no, nah, but uh, yeah, it's all good. You know, we still we still doing it in 2023. So you know, I, if you don't mind, it, could you let the people know where we stand right now? If you have that information in front of you, if not, we can move on. It's actually, if I recall correctly, it's actually yeah, it's a three way tie right now because we did two predictions so far i believe we did three technically but nobody had the u-bait one correct and so with the better be having a yard you and vel had two points i had three i had called that round and then for the navarete wilson you had called the exact round but vel had three as well i had two and so it's uh five across the board so far chris you bang jr man that dude no, I saw good. I mean, who who would have picked that one? If you picked that one, then you're probably a rich person right now. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, we don't want to, you know, like I said, I appreciate you, you know, bestowing that honor upon me, you know. And uh, I'm looking to repeat, you know, if you will. Uh, but uh, enough of that, because I, I don't want to stay in the moment. I want to look towards the future. That's why I said the past, the present, and the future. You understand what I'm saying? So with that being said, I think it's uh, only right that we move forward and thinking about this past weekend. You had really four fights that we're going to recap, but I know three of those fights were really outstanding um, bouts, at least two of the four. Then let's go ahead and start off with the Amanda Serrano fight yesterday. She was in a fight with the young lady uh, going for undisputed, those two undisputed championships uh, on the line yesterday against a young lady named Cruz uh, Vail. I know you checked that one out. Had to be impressed uh, with what you saw. But what did you see? Like you said, absolutely. I, I was definitely impressed. And first and foremost, all of us on this this uh, podcast are proponents of women's boxing. But I just want to give them a shout out because they really put it on the line. They make these big fights happen. They're not afraid. And, they, and when you look to the future, Anyone who's a boxing fan is is very, very hopeful that those fights get made. And I know uh, we all debate, uh, talk about a lot of stuff, especially regarding fights being made. But to to an extent, you know, Will, you do have a point that a lot of boxers don't want to make those fights. And when, when you look at the women, they're more likely to make those. and They're not afraid to make them, even if they're outside of their weight class. And one of the reasons why, you know, I don't try to be on, you know, boxing message boards a lot it's because of you know women's boxing would get a, a bad rap they would get trash and, and you know call them like oh they're like men and they shouldn't be getting hit in the face and chick fights and they're horrible and all that and i felt it was very very disrespectful especially considering uh what these women are, are doing right now um and the level that they're they're fighting at and even alicia Baumgarter, you know she alluded to you know when it's some of the things that women go through you know whether it's in training or in a fight so they do deserve our respect so getting to the fight, I, I knew this would be a, a, a decent fight, and I, I thought that Amanda Serrano would shine, but I didn't know that this would end up being a, a, a great fight, you know, and how much uh, Erica Cruz Hernandez would shine as well and really raise her stock. So this fight kind of started off fast, and, and Erica, you know, Cruz Hernandez, she kind of seemed uncomfortable a little bit, and it was like, wow, you know, um, she was fighting at a pace, but she seemed like she was uncomfortable fighting at a pace that she was kind of setting. And I think she was forced to set that pace by the danger of Amanda Serrano. And you could see 
you know, Cruz kind of go through, the, you know, the motions in the first few rounds as Serrano was kind of, you know, putting it on her. I mean, it started off fast and they were just going at it, you know, uh, just punches and bunches and jabbing it and all that. And it was interesting that when Cruz would come in, how Serrano would, would catch her coming in, try to get out, but Cruz, you know, was able to really work her way, you know, in the fight, you know, and um, I think around the third round, there was a clash of heads where Cruz kind of got cut by a head, but, and then Serrano kind of smelt that blood a little bit because she was concerned that, that she might've been down because Cruz was doing well, even though she, her facial expressions just looked so uncomfortable. She was doing well. So in the, in the fourth round, I think it was Cruz really got to her own of starting, you know, to set her own pace uh, and fighting with Serrano. And she got more comfortable as in, like, man, okay, I, I'm, I'm in here. I, the lights is not too bright. I, I think I could deal with this, you know, uh, and her attitude started to change. Uh, I think she was hurt kind of in the, I believe it was the sixth round where she got hurt. And, uh, and, and Amanda Serrano had an opportunity to really step on the gas and shot and stop her. But the danger, you know, kind of was, was still too, too much, even though Cruz, you know, physically looked smarter just her volume and her her style of coming in with her head down a little bit and protecting uh, a portion of her face, I think that was kind of key. It was almost like her being sloppy kind of helped her out a little bit, you know. So again, Cruz was hurt with a you know six round with a, a left hook, I think. Uh, Serrano was kind of you know gained control of it, and and throughout the rest of the fight, I think Serrano kind of you know stayed at that pace and kind of outworked uh, Cruz to a the decision. I thought that Serrano comfortably won this fight, but I have no, no problems with anyone thinking it was close because uh, Erica Cruz Hernandez definitely, you know, did a lot better than I thought she would. And, and in many people's eyes that she, she elevated her stock, even in his loss. Um, so Serrano, she moves up to 44, two and one with 30 knockouts. Uh, Hernandez, Cruz Hernandez, she falls to 15 and two uh, with three knockouts. But I thought it was a, a classic, classic fight. One of those fights that could be in the line for fight of the year again, you know, with this involving Amanda Serrano. So I just want to give a shout out to those ladies. They really put it on the line, uh, made an exciting fight. Yeah, we had two fights this weekend that potentially um, could be considered, you know, fight of the year. And we only in uh, February, you know what I mean? And the past two, the past two weeks, we've had three fights that, um, will be in the running for fight of the year. So with these boxing years started off um, very well, you know, and it, and it all is contingent on putting the best fights or the best fighters against the best fighters. This is what you get. This is what puts boxing where it needs to be, you know, and, and that's like as one of the top sports that people can watch and people will buy into something like this if you give them, you know, these quality matches. And, um, you know, when you put together less than stellar opponent against a top-level guy, I mean, very few times will you get, you know, like barn burners or anything like that. But that would probably be just based on the person who they're putting them in there with having an off night. But when you got, you know, two stiff, tough uh, opponents, one against each other, steel, sharp and steels, and that's only how you're going to be able to see and, and, and get better. You know what I mean? As a fighter, Alicia Baumgartner mentioned that in her post-fight interview. 
before I get off into this veil, you mentioned something about um, not wanting to go in some of those social media or on some of those social media platforms. I would hope that you would, you know, because you are somebody who knows the sport and you are somebody who can steer people in the right direction in terms of what they, how they should be doing things. And that's the way I look at it, you know, because you gotta, you gotta go in there and you gotta speak truth to like all of the falsehoods that are out there. You know what I mean? It's like in the Bible, you know what I mean? You had, you know, Jesus, he, if he would just sat back, you know what I mean? The gospel wouldn't have been, been, been told, you know what I mean? So I would encourage you to go in there, you know what I mean? With the knowledge that you have, you know, regarding sport. Um, and this one, I think that first and foremost, I'll go over the punch steps. You know, it was a blood so you know, fight of the year, as you mentioned, you know, with Serrano winning undisputed against Erica Cruz. Erica Cruz kind of reminded me of Pitbull Cruz a little bit. You know, she fights so hard, so, so hard knowledge, you know what I mean? And Serrano, she faced the foe that outdrew her 96.8 punches per two-minute round to Serrano's 94.8. You had Serrano using her quicker hands and better jabbing, where she had 42.3 attempts and Cruz to Cruz's 34.5 attempts per round. And Serrano landed about five jabs per round with Cruz landed two. You know, and I think that the straighter punches, you know, it enabled Serrano to be more effective. You know, when you look at the final punch stats you had all together, Serrano, she threw too much in 57, or she landed too much in 57 punches and out of 949. Cruz threw 200 or landed too much in two punches out of 968. Serrano was 27.1% accuracy. And then Cruz was 20.9%, uh, had a 20.9% accuracy rate, but also those uh, punches to the body. Like Cruz landed a lot of nice, solid quality punches to the body. Now, you also mentioned something, Vale, as far as Cruz's unorthodox uh, fighting style. And I think that that really helped her. Um, Serrano, she would be better off if. She would have been better. I mean, this, this is what happened. I'm going to tell you what Serrano's thinking. Serrano's thinking, this girl comes in, she throws these wide punches, and she fights. It's only one way for her to be, and that's to fight a style that I'm the best at. Nobody really wants to go in there and bang it out with Serrano because she's just too powerful. Serrano's thinking, I got 30 KOs. I got more KOs, and she has figures. She only has three knockouts, and she going to sit up here and, and throw punches with me like, like that. You know, she's going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me. I'm going to go ahead and smoke this girl at some point. And so that's what she stated. She kind of took the approach that uh, Spence took against Porter. Spence was thinking that Porter, he likes to end fight. He try to be rough and tough. Man, that's my style. I like to do that. And I'm more accurate. You know, I think I punch harder. You know what I mean? I think that my skills are better. So I don't really have to have a game plan for somebody just going to go ahead and want to fight on the inside with me. But what you're not factoring in is that body breath and those that, that um, unorthodox manner in which that person is going to fight. They don't fight like you, and that's what makes them uniquely awkward. You know what I'm saying? And so um, it was a, it, I don't even think that the fact that it was a left-hand fighter that surrounded the face that was giving her the problems, and she said, they were saying that she trained against a lot of lefties, 
um, like three times a day in order to prepare. It was more so her punch selection. I think Sarama, if they do it again, she'll have more success because it's two things that she would just have to do. One, she can box this girl ears off and then just place her shots. The second thing is if she ever just do uppercuts, but it cruises right there with her head down, she'll never see it coming and she wouldn't be able to take those shots. So those are two things that she would have to do in a rematch with before, which I think that would be easy money in a bank. But Cruz, if you're not ready for it, she's an offensive dynamo. You know, she doesn't look skilled, but like I said, she's so unorthodox that, that it's hard to get a beat on her. You know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, I, that's what made the fight. Like. You, you mentioned everything else, but as far as what happened in the fight, I won't go too much into that. I'll just say that it was an excellent performance by both ladies. Um, I knew that it was going to be a tough fight because anytime you have that Puerto Rico, Mexican mix, those make for some of your best fights in boxing history. You know, both sides just don't want to lose to, to the other side. And then, you know, both of these females are really quality fighters. It's going to be interesting to see where both go moving forward. I know Serrano, she wants that. Taylor rematch um, in a fight like this, it just, to me, a, a fight between those two, it's just going to be depending on where Taylor is in her career. Because Serrano's going to do what Serrano does. Taylor's going to do what she does. It's just a matter if uh, Taylor's just, to me, so, showing a little bit more sign of slowing down. I think in this fight, it wasn't necessarily Serrano slowing down. Now, she could show signs of slowing down now because she took some mean letter yesterday. Um, and it takes a while to come back from those fights, typically. Um, but I think it'll be a, another 50-50 fight because they're both close in skill. And you got the power dynamic from Serrano. You got the overall skills of Taylor. Taylor likes to come in and brawl a little bit, but she's more educated with her skills. And I think that it's, it, it, it may take Serrano some time to get Cruz out of her system. But by the time she get Cruz out of her system, it might be too late because she kind of tires a little bit towards the end. But that's something we'll discuss in the future. I just want to say it was a very, very good fight. I certainly appreciate that. Shout out to the women, you know, for putting it on, um, for putting on um, yesterday out there in New York. That's all I have, Dan. Yes, definitely salute to the ladies. It was a very good fight. A uh, very fan friendly style that both women employed. I personally had it 93, 90, I'm sorry, 97, 93 Serrano, which is what one of the judges had it. The other two had it 98, 92 in her favor. I, what I noticed from Serrano, she basically just outgunned her, you know, like you said, Will. It, it seemed like her strategy was just like, okay, I'm a, because I do what you do better. <laughs> I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw at you till I get tired. And then once my turbo's back, I'm gonna throw some more. And it's I will say that maybe she did that for the fans. Maybe she did it, maybe I don't know, you know, kind of what went into the decision to to trade, but I will say that it was the least the least slick that I had seen her. And you know, like you said, Will Cruz, she was throwing with her head down, she was throwing wide. She was reaching for those body shots. Those hooks were wide. And I would have loved to have seen Serrano adjust more and, and throw that uppercut, you know. Uh, that uppercut with her power and the timing, a well-timed uppercut would have done, even though she won this 
pretty soundly on the cards. She would have had to take less damage, in my opinion, if you adjust, because Cruz is not going to want to keep eating uppercuts. So she would have had to figure something else out. But this fight in and of itself, you know, as a fan of boxing, I really enjoy watching it. They confirmed it pretty much after the fight was over on May 20th. She'll be rematching Taylor in Dublin. My early thoughts, you know, is, is pretty soon, but my early thoughts is that night she's going to be 44-3-1 because I think that Taylor is, Serrano's going to do what Serrano's going to do, but I, I just think Taylor, even at her age, is going to be more adaptable. And I think that's going to really pay more dividends for Taylor than it is Serrano. You guys have anything else on the future or that fight before we move on? One one thing I will say is this, Danny. One thing I, I failed to mention, and I know I, you know, I talked a little, I talked quite a bit. I took took up my time, but um, is Cruz? Like I said, she reminded me of Pitbull, like a female version of Pitbull Cruz. They said they're related. I wouldn't even be surprised, you know. Um, is this? They they were saying how she looked nervous and um, and whatnot. That's her style. Like that's how she fight. Like if you ever see her, you watch two or three fights from her. All the stuff that you saw yesterday is what she does. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she just looks like she's wild. It looks like she's like uh, unprofessional with her skills, but it works for her. You know what I'm saying? Because really, when you are a highly skilled fighter, you wouldn't even think somebody would attempt to do some of the stuff that she's doing, and she does it all the time. And then her head is in a place where, idealistically, you'll think, man, somebody with some skills will smoke her. Now, eventually, that may be the case where she might run into that person who is just studying her style and what shots to place on her, but it wasn't yesterday. You know what I mean? And, and who will have most girls or most ladies don't have that type of powers. You know, it's the upper echelon few, but they're around that weight class though, too, who has that pop in their punches. But the other thing, the reason why I know it's going to be a close fight is because unless Serrano just got her out of there, she don't stop coming. Like I, the fights that I've seen her and her highlights, and I watched two of her fights. She just, she just, she has that. She didn't say quack. She has that heart, you know. And then the, 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 on top of that, with the, the cherry on top, is that left hand has seems to have a radar on it. As wide and wild as it looks, she keeps clocking people with it. And I'm like, how is she getting that off? But she's like. Alex English back in the day, or some of those guys who had those unorthodox jump shots, that he'd be like, man, how is that going in? But that's her. That's her style. I don't think she was nervous. She might have been nervous initially, you know, until Serrano started, you know, hitting her a little bit. But that little herky-jerky movement, sometimes you don't know if she hurt or if she's just that she just got bad balance, you know. But she got some hands, though. Yeah, she got some hands, man. Another thing I want to bring up, too, in regards to Amanda Serrano is, you got to think, she's one of those fighters, I don't even know what weight class she actually even fights at. I mean, of course, this fight was at featherweight. She's unified featherweight champion. But now she's going back to lightweight to fight, you know, Katie Taylor again. And then if she wins that fight, I mean, it could open up a fight with uh, uh, Alicia Baumgartner or the winner between her and, and Michaela Mayer. So, it's interesting because that's like if if Canelo would have lost a close fight to Bivol, went down a middleweight and beat like a uh, Jamal Charlo or something like that, and then went back up to rematch Bivol, and then there's somebody and then looking 
ahead to the the winner of Benavidez plant. You know, it's almost like that. So we have to really be aware of what we're seeing when it comes to her. And that's all I have to say. She's cold. You know, I forgot to say this to Danny, and I messed up a nice little uh, segment that we have. Shout out to Danny for joining me on, uh, you know, Chop It Up Thursday the other day. You get a chance, listeners, that's something that I like to do on Thursdays. You know, the fellas always, you know, well, we're, we're a busy crew. You know what I'm saying? Whoever can join, you know, that's just how it goes. You know, sometimes I don't even know. I don't know how I made it on Thursday. That's how tired of fatigue I was. And with that being said, I was a little bit so fatigued at the end of what I do at the end, if there's a big fight, I give my biased prediction on Thursdays. When you hear me in here, I give my unbiased. I just look at what tendencies fighters have, um, what each person brings to the table, and then I'll make my objective pick. Now, my picks that I make on Thursdays, those are not objective. Sometimes it's just who I like for whatever reason. And the other day, I made two picks. One was Baumgartner. I just think she's pretty, so I went with her. And then I made a mistake and said Katie Taylor, as opposed to Serrano, be winning um, their fight. And I said the same thing. I just thought that, and I said Katie Taylor, as opposed to Serrano. I missed Serrano. And so I just wanted to make that clarification. And I apologize to you, Danny. Now, if it was Katie Taylor, it wouldn't be because of that. The only person I probably would pick because of that over an opponent probably be Delphi Persona. You understand what I'm saying? But that's a whole other conversation. Just want to point that out. Thank you, man, for uh, showing up. Yes, sir. It's all good. The last thing I say is Isak Cruz does remind me of Erica Cruz a little bit. Not not the other way around. I think, you know, if if, if one took from one from the other, I think Isak might have took his style for Erica. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Uh, so the, when he was over there, Bob and I, yeah, uh, Gamboa, you understand what I'm saying? Edwin Rodriguez in the second round. Come on, Daddy, go show him some love, man. Well, he did what to who? It was the name uh, Edwin Rodriguez and Yorkers Gamboa and taking Tank twelve rounds for the first time. You know what I'm saying? Tank with what? With one hand? Okay. How, how does he? How do you end up with one hand? Because he can't yeah. put a dick. You see what I'm saying? Hey, oh. hey, I mean, Tank is a two-handed fighter by his own admission. He ain't one of them, I got a good left hook, my left hand is hurt, you know, something like that. He's two-handed fighter. Plus, Tank ain't trying to rematch Cruz. Hey, you know, show some love, baby. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez is ranked 30th in the division, but sure, I'll show him love. Next topic. Uh... <laughs> 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 so with that co-main, your girl will Alicia Baumgartner. She came back. She fought Ella Mechelet. How did you see that playing out? And well, we know how it played out, but what were your thoughts on it? First off, I like to thank God. Yeah, I fought my A off. I'm like, what the hell? What are you saying, girl? Like, man, will you be doing that stuff too, man? Nah, <laughs> and I put my I boys was, in the hood, Chris oh, voice. Oh, my boys in the hood, Chris the dope boy voice. That is hypocritical. But anyway, as far as the fight is concerned, Alicia Baumgart, Eileen Mechelet, you know, that was a that was a solid fight as well. Um, I thought, you know, basically early on what Mechelet was doing, she was trying to find Baumgart's jab with an overhand right. She was doing a really well, a halfway decent job of it in the first two rounds. And I want to say that was the third round where she ended up getting caught, but I'll get to that in a second. What I noticed out the gate, 
from both fighters is that it's three things Bob Garner just has over Mechalette, and that's going to be speed, power, and slickness. And then Mechalette, what she has over Bob Garner is going to be stamina and durability. But she just doesn't hit hard enough. She reminds me of a female version of Terrence Ali, somebody that can, you know, has some skills, but it's just at the end of the day, you know, with those three KOs, she just doesn't have enough to get the respect that she needs from somebody who's as dynamic as Baumgartner. Now, if she had a little bit more power, this could have been very, very interesting. I thought that uh, in the, um, I think that was, it was around two, uh, Mechalette landed a nice little right hand. That kind of got Baumgartner's attention. And then after that, I think it was, like I said, round three, she ended up dropping Mechalette. Like they had this change with, with the right hand, both right hands, and she just hit her like right flush. And that really threw off her equilibrium. She went down. It was another knockdown. I don't think that it was necessarily a knockdown. I thought that uh, Gunner kind of pushed her. And it was a, several times that that happened where she ended up knocking Mechalip down. But they were either called a push or that last time she knocked her down in the tent, I think that that was actually a knockdown. But they didn't call it. said that she pushed her after she hit her. But all in all, I thought that Baumgartner, you know, showed a really good account of herself um, as she became undisputed. I want to say that's 130-pound and 130-pound weight class. Um, just a few things that she alluded to, why she was so tired, you know, at certain points. No, but I won't repeat that. Uh, I think that was a little too much information. Um, but at the end of the day, that seems to be a pattern with her. She's kind of like the female Tony Harrison, you know, they're close with one another. Um, he trains her, but she kind of has the same problem that he has where her energy kind of zaps at certain points. Now, once she gets that energy up, she got some heavy hands on her, some fast hands, and she can give anybody trouble. She has world-class power for the females. Like that's, that's really something her and her and Serrano, like that, that's some world-class power that they have. They really can put your lights out. Um, but the thing is, is if she doesn't, it's going to take her time to get energy back, you know, in order for her to be able to put on another sustained attack or develop enough power to go ahead and hurt you. She can be in a situation if she fights somebody who can withstand that punishment and then come back. I think a fight that would really be difficult unless she just cracks her and puts her out will be pursuing. Pursuing is all bad because Persona is going to have that same energy throughout the fight. Like I said, unless you just crack her and get her up out of there, and she very well could do that. But if she somehow makes it through, then I don't think that she would be able to make it through against Persona because she has a two-fisted attack. And that two-fisted two attack is the same as far as, like, the first second of the fight all the way to the last second of the tenth. So that's one that I would, would avoid if I could, if I was in management, but she says that she's the type of person who wants people like Katie Taylor. Um, she wants to test herself to really see where she is. That's the only way that she can get better. And that's her words, not mine. And that's it. That's talking like a true fighter. And that's what I love about those people. I like that about Michael too. You saw what she was going through yesterday. Never say die. Kept getting back up, trying to, you know, get some get back when she was, you know, not having the best results. Um, so I, I commend all of them, man. But it was a good fight. I think that it could have been closer because a lot of those rounds, you could have gave the Mechalette. You know what I mean? They had some very wide margins. It's just the rounds that 
that uh, Baumgartner won, she won by a huge margin. That third round, I want to say it was a couple other rounds when she kind of hurt Mechalet. But Mechalet's so scrappy, so durable. Um, you know, so I just want to say shout out to both females. And, uh, you know, when I do my bias predictions, I'm kind of like halfway kidding, you know, when I say those things. But just all in all, I just got so much respect for those ladies because they just have so much heart and they're willing to put it on the line. And as a boxing fan, that's all you, you want. For sure. This was another good one, too. Mechalit was definitely game. Uh, she was very aggressive. It, it just pretty much in, in the scorecards, like you said, they won't really reflect it. But uh, Baumgartner was just a little bit more sharper and strategic. Um, but, you know, the thing that Baumgartner has to be careful about is like in round two, for example, she made the mistake of moving toward Mechalit's lead hand and then she got clipped. But in round three, that's when she that's when she had the 10-7 round. Also, like you alluded to, the problem is, you know, when she sees, when she smells blood, she goes for it. And if she doesn't, like, get that knockout or get that stoppage, she has to kind of take time off. And that can cause her to lose some rounds in between that. Because the, the rounds that I gave to Mechalit were the ones after Baumgartner went for it, you know. And so... All in all, though, I thought it was a really good fight. I won't really break it down too, too much because uh, it wasn't too much to break down and, you know, past what you already said. But she mentioned Kaylee Taylor and Michaela Mayer, the rematch. Obviously, like we discussed a second ago, Taylor's going to be busy. But I think out of those two rematches, I would be more excited about uh, Baumgartner Mayer, too, than I would Serrano Taylor, too. And not to compare the two, because I'll, I'll be there for both of them. I'm excited for both of them. And I say it as someone who voted Serrano Taylor fight of the year last year. But I'm really interested to see if that fight goes down, what adjustments Mayer makes, or if Baumgartner is able to get to her easy easier and stop her like she said she could. But this fight itself was a really good one. And I'm looking forward to seeing whatever's next for, for her. Yeah, it, it was a very, very entertaining fight. Baumgartner, man, props to her. She always shows up in shape. She trains hard. You can tell. You can look that she's mentally there, you know. But Michaela, it was it's very, very I, – I, I thought she was game. She was tough because after the third round when uh, bomb, the bomb put her down twice, I thought this fight was over, you know. I was like, man, this ain't – it's not going to last too, 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 too much longer. But Michaela kind of toughed it out and – uh, Danny, you alluded to this, and Will, I think you alluded to this too, is that, you know, um, Baumgartner, she still has her, her she, has, she has certain types of stamina, you know, issues. It's not like where she just gets tired or she's someone who isn't, you know, doesn't train or discipline. I think she puts more herself out there trying to get that knockout. And then the next round, she's kind of like, I have to reset. I got to take off. I have to regroup. And it takes a while for her to get her you know, get that, that win back. And that happened in the, you know, of course in the fourth round, but really in that, uh, that uh, I believe it was the, the, the uh, eighth or ninth round where, where she, uh, Baumgartner really had to regroup, um, but she's so supremely talented. But the one mistake she, she kind of makes in my opinion is um, I, th I think, and Tony Harrison kind of alluded to this, of her li really looking for that one punch to put somebody out their misery um now i think she's a better boxer than that and not saying that she shouldn't use her power 
but I think she's a, a, a good, she's skilled enough where she can believe in her boxing ability too, just as much as she believes in her power. It's almost like a, she's, she's like maybe a more disciplined, well, a person, she's more, a less distracted version of Zab Judah, where Zab sometimes would believe in his power too much, even though he has that power, but he also has boxing ability that he can also use and not really overdo himself by trying to rely on that punch. So I think Baumgarter, you know, she, she did a good job. Uh, even, even though she had those times where she was getting a little tired, she powered through. She was able to take Michaela's shots because there were some shots where um, Michaela landed, especially in that second round, she landed that, that right hand when she got uh, Baumgarter's attention. I, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And, and, and then, but Baumgarter, she just has that dog in her that, you know, if you catch her, she's like, I'm going to catch you too, you know, and that's a good thing to have. So, this is a good win for Baumgartner. It was a, it was very impressive. I was I was impressed by her win, and it'll be interesting seeing her against in the rematch against uh, Michaela Mayer. Uh, she has the mentality, the right mentality going in there. Like man, I'm, I'm going to knock her out and stuff like that. Just hopefully that she's really trying to you know train with her boxing ability also, so that you know um, not everybody you can knock out, and you got to have like a, a you know a C game, a, a D game, an E game, just in case all those things fall through. You want to be prepared, you know. Um, anything else you guys want to share? Yeah, she said that last time. You know, obviously, I think that she she knows what Mayor brings to the table, and um, she'll she'll be definitely prepared as much as she possibly can. It's going to be a matter if she's going to be able to do it because Mayor's a high quality fighter. And I think that she trains hard. Like she's one of those those fighters that's giving it all she got and, and, and trying to be the best that she possibly can be. It's just fighters sometimes they have stamina issues. You know, you mentioned Zab Judah. Zab Judah had that problem where after about the fifth, sixth round, Zab Judah was uh, you know, backtracking, backpedaling. Um, to a lesser degree, you got guys like Josh Kelly, who just after like three, four rounds, he's he's done. You know what I'm saying? She's not as bad as that, but you can definitely see a drop, you know. Um Felix Verdeo was like that. You know what I mean? He was beating the heck out of Nakatani um, for the first five rounds. Like I say, like a pound for pound caliber type fighter for the first five. Then after that, you know, it's a done die, you know. But the other thing I'm going to say is, man, I got to stop caping for these females, man. You sit up here telling me, I, I never say no stuff like that. Thanks, God. Thank you, God. My Lord and Savior. Well, I just uh, beat the hell out of <laughs> Like, nah, I mean, I would never do nothing like that, man. So let's stop caping for him, man. Come on, right. man. do better, baby. You know what I'm saying? You got the skills, you got so, the talent, you know, you got the you, you got the Genesee quads. Well, let's go ahead and clean up some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And speaking of speaking of that, and I'm glad you brought it that, that reminds me. So she, yeah, she made a comment, you know, about you know what she had to go through, what was happening to her before the fight, you know. And that's something that I was kind of alluding to. And I'm not, and like you will, I'm not gonna repeat that. But it, it, I'm glad she kind of said it, even though it was really, really bold statement, because it does. It's something that I, I probably thought about, but I never really consider when you see these women get in the ring. But you know, great performance. You know, <laughs> she, she could have said it a little bit different. She could have said different. She could have said different. It's scientific terms you can use. Yes. <laughs> so, 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 so moving right along. Uh, also, you know, there was a card that came on last night. Uh, also on, uh, I think it was on, it was on Friday, actually, Friday evening on ESPN. We had uh, Mario Navarrete. Uh, he took on Liam uh, Wilson for the WBO uh, Super Featherweight title. Hey, Danny, you, you, you check out that fight? I did. 
you know, credit to to Liam Wilson. You know, he he showed at that stage. That stage wasn't too big for him, although he isn't very experienced. I think that was his 12th, maybe his 13th fight, and he fought for a world title. Um, also want to give credit to him for doing what he needed to do to get there. Because what I didn't know when I made my prediction, I didn't know that he had moved to D.C. to train with Barry Hunter at, at Headbangers Gym. And so, I, you know, based on what I saw, the limited amount of what I saw from him before, it did seem like training with them dogs in D.C. and at the DMV area gave him an edge that he would not have otherwise have had going into this fight. Now, that said, I don't know if they didn't train for those knockdown moments or or what, which I guess is kind of hard to train for those knockdown moments, but I thought he left, he let never, not but I tell you off the hook when he knocked him down in the fourth, you know, like I would have liked to have seen him go for it more. And granted, not but I tell you still a live dog, but I felt like if that was, if there was a time to go for it, that's when you do it. And then when he was hurt really badly in the ninth round, he didn't really have the presence of mind to tie up. He actually had turned his back to Navarrete a few times, if I recall correctly. Um, another thing that I saw from him, you know, again, he, he did fight a pretty good fight overall, and it made for a very good fan friendly fight, but his head stayed on that center line, and, and he also kept backing up straight when he would back up. I don't think it cost him too much in the grand scheme, what I'm about to say, but there were also those few instances where he went in the southpaw where it wasn't really being effective. Like there's nothing wrong with being a switch hurter, obviously, but you only switch when it's making, when it's giving you some sort of advantage. I also didn't like that he was reaching a lot, but I will say that, you know, he was working up until this camp for what I saw. It, it He was working with the best he had in his home country. And if he stays with that camp, I think that those things will get worked out. Um, but, you know, their, their flaws made for is what made this fight so exciting, you know. And so as a fan, I wasn't mad at it. But, you know, we on this platform and we got to talk about what we saw on Alvarez. And I didn't like how often that he he would lower his head to throw that straight body shot. He was also throwing pretty wide. He was there to be hit, you know, and it didn't seem like he was listening to his corner in some spots. And these were things that weren't that surprising to me because that's kind of how he fights like he stayed true to his style but if he fights the elites at 130 like if he decides to, to fight at 130 he's now a three division world champion of course and he has two of those belts still the one at 126 and the one at 130 that he just won it's going to be a problem for him if he if he continues to fight that way and i felt like he was a little bit slower at that at that higher weight class as well i don't know and he typically doesn't come in like cut, right? But it seemed like he was a little bit, like there was a little bit extra there, you know what I mean, with with him moving up. But it was a good fight for him. Congrats to him for becoming three-division world champ. I said it last week, but this was the best-case scenario for any fighter moving up to for a championship fight. Um, but I also know that if he stays at 130, Oscar Valdez is, is doing the Birdman hand rub because I think he would get that belt back. Yeah, I think Oscar Valdez is, is uh, licking his chops right now. But I also think that, you know, Navarrete, my gut tells me that he came in overweight. It, it sounds like something fishy because Liam Wilson's like, hey, look, man, I ain't no, I ain't no uh, featherweight. And I'm weighing in almost at the featherweight limit. I'm almost down there. <laughs> so 
it was something that, that was weird. I'm not saying Navarrete himself probably did it, but something was kind of, you know, weird. But it was a great fight, you know, um, even though uh, Navarrete might have been not as prepared. He showed a lot of heart, you know, especially in being hurt. And those those moments that, you know, when fighters, they're not fully trained and they get, or they're not in the fight and they get knocked down by someone like that. A lot of times they lose form and they just, they just, they just lose it totally. And uh, Navarrete, even though his corner was kind of losing it a little bit, he really wasn't. He was like, he was gathering himself. Um, I think Wilson, his, his, his status probably, his stock probably grown a little bit from this fight because of, you know, how he was doing, the heart he was showing. It's just that he did make that mistake, uh, Danny, of, of not really tying up and not really trying to react when hurt as well as Navarrete when Navarrete was hurt. Um, but the fight kind of played out, out similar. Well, in the beginning, it played out similar to what I thought with, uh, you know, uh, Wilson trying to pressure in pressure uh Navarrete but Navarrete kind of using his length because he's slightly you know uh longer than Wilson but Wilson is that is naturally bigger and that that's going to play out more in a few more fights at 130 that we're going to talk about um but Navarrete got more in the rhythm rhythm in the third and it seemed like you know all right I got this you know and then Wilson catches caught him with that left hook which put Navarrete down and Navarrete was able to uh weather that storm It, it was in that moment that I gained a little bit more respect for Navarrete because, I don't know, he's always seemed like that guy that, to me, somebody like Kerry Russell Jr. would be licking their chops to get at, you know. But when Navarrete showed me, it showed that he had heart, that when his corner is out of whack, he still has the mindset, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. And he went out there and executed. And he got that stoppage uh, in the ninth round when he uh, uh, put Wilson down and really just put it on him. Uh, and the ref just you know had to step in. I thought that was even even though you know Wilson is a caliber opponent that they they said before the fight, 14 to 1 underdog, what have you. It was more about what I what Navarrete showed when he, he was facing adversity. And that's something that I do look for. So even though it wasn't one of Navarrete's best performance, it's one of the best things I saw him do in a fight where he was facing adversity. Adversity. Uh, and that's all I got to, sh- to say about that. Hey, Will, what, what were your thoughts on the fight? Oh, man, I thought I, I looked at it totally different, man. You know, I think that you have those those fights where you, you like you just said, you faced that adversity. You got off to a rocky start, but he was able to bounce back. You know, you look at the punch stats. You had um, Navarrete. He landed 152. Uh, Wilson, 97. Navarrete threw up 453 shots to Wilson's 388, so he was more active. He was more accurate, landed 34% of his punches. Uh, Wilson landed 25% of his. He landed more jabs, 29 out of 151, to Wilson's 13 out of 141. His accuracy as far as jabs was 19% to Wilson's nine. Power punches landed, he landed 123 to Wilson's 84. And then power punches thrown, he landed, uh, or he threw 302, like I said, 923, and then 247 for Wilson, he landed 84, and Navarrete landed 41% of his power punches, and Wilson landed 34%. I thought this fight, one thing I knew that Wilson had going into the fight was that left hook. That fight that he had against Joe None, when he lost, it was the same thing. He just lost sooner in that fight it would think it was like the fifth round or so 
where it kind of like he got a little tired or whatever, and then Nole landed like similar shots that Navarrete landed, you know, like a little punch down the middle, and he couldn't take it. And once he got hurt, he didn't show the ability to, you know, like he, he wasn't able to throw any punches that was going to get him back into the fight. It just looked like he was done. But I was thinking that this fight could last longer because after that, he won a 10-round decision where his stamina seemed better than it was in the Nonay fight. And then also in the Nonay fight, he caught Nonay with like this nice left hook that put Nonay out. And so I was like, hey, he got a left hook. That's one thing that he has. And if he touches Navarrete with it, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds, especially the way Navarrete fights. He appears to be open a lot, um, but he just has a unique style. Now, what you said, Danny, yeah, he needs a strength and conditioning coach, not necessarily for his stamina, because it seems like he has pretty good stamina. I don't know how well the stamina is going to be if he has somebody who's able to hit him more on a consistent basis than Wilson was able to. I don't know how that would play out if he's fighting somebody that's bigger and stronger. I don't know if that would impact his stamina, but he definitely needs somebody that's going to tighten up that midsection because anybody that can throw some punches down into the body, then they're going to kind of slow him down even more. Um, or they're going to slow him down more than Wilson's able to because he's just, that's not his game. Um, Navarrete, I thought he was getting warmed up, but he got caught on Wilson's best shot, that left hook, and, and that put him in bad shape. But once he caught his rhythm um, and, and Wilson's ability, like he, and he also caught Wilson's rhythm, I think that that's when it was, it was pretty much all she wrote. Navarrete, man, he's relentless. He has that unorthodox, all-beat tempo. And he kept applying that pressure in his own kind of weird, off-rhythm type of way, even though he got off to a rocky start. I thought it was an excellent performance by my main man, Navarrete. And moving forward, I'm saying, it, it, from the standpoint of going through some adversity, you know, starting off the fight, you know, getting off to that rocky start, I thought it was impressive in that manner. I thought he looked cold, too. Like, the first couple rounds, he wasn't even sweating or anything like that. This is another fight where... You could be looking at the fighter that you face and thinking that, you know what, I'm just too much for this dude. You know, he's not going to be able to withstand the pressure that I'm going to apply because the times that he has been in situations when somebody put the pressure on him, you know, it, he cracked. And But Wilson, like you said, training down there in D.C., Barry Hunter, you know, they had him prepared for what Navarrete was going to bring it to the table up to the point where they just couldn't prepare anymore. So him, after a while, being able to withstand and the stamina and things like that that he's naturally born with, you know, they probably would do the best they could with him, but with the time frame that they had, they couldn't really get him prepared for all 12. And I don't know if he'll ever be prepared to go all 12, or he's going to have to learn some different tricks of the trade to be able to get through those rocky spots. And by time, when he is tired and fatigued, and he just doesn't know that right now. I like Navarrete. I think that moving forward, he has that that style. You know, some fighters, I don't know. I, I To me, when I look at him, he looks wide open. And I'm like, there's somebody who can go down the middle and, and, and crack. That's going to be trouble. But Timothy Bradley keeps saying he has that offbeat, you know, type of style. And when he starts to rev it up, He's kind of like Cruz, but like he lands some punches from some weird angles, you know what I'm saying? Because people just don't throw like that. It would say somebody that shoot. Of course, Stevenson was down there. He would really cause some trouble for Navarrete. Oscar Dillo, I mean, Oscar Valdez can 
I just don't know because Oscar Valdez, you know, since he tested positive and things like that, he just hasn't looked that good to me in his last few fights. The Oscar Valdez that I saw before the Burchell fight, I thought he was very beatable. He just looked like a guy who was old blood and guts, you know what I mean? Like, he just wasn't the most talented guy, but in the Burchell fight, he put it all together. But then after that, him testing positive for these different drugs and stuff like that, I don't know. If he's the one that I saw before the Burchell fight, never to beat him. Yeah, he can beat him. You know what I mean? It would be um, dangerous because he does have power, but how much power do you have when you're not on that juice? You know what I'm saying? So I, I can't call it. Um, Shane Mosley didn't look as, as powerful to me once they start testing and stuff like that, you know, for um, those substances and things like that. So I don't know. I think that I'll give him a shot, you know what I mean? Because he's going to be revving it up. And once he gets warm, you know, unless he gets clocked by one of those um, ball dead left hooks, is that left hook going to be as powerful if he's not able to, you know, have one of the banned substance, but banned substances in his system? Um, then also, when I look at the other, other 130 pounds, that's the one right there. I know Aaron probably wants to put that fight together because they both top ranked ESPN, Mexican. That could be a blockbuster, you know what I'm saying? Um, they can break the bank. But if you look at majority of the 130 pound fighters, he's right there with them because they don't have the power. Like all of the guys who, like even Ray Vargas moving up, he's not a power puncher. You got um, most of the guys, they, they don't even have half the knockouts on their, in, you know, as far as the win ratio. You know what I mean? So he wouldn't really be that much in, in danger of fighting somebody who can clean a pot like that with him being so open. And he's a marvel, you know, offensively. So I think that he can be competitive. I, don't, I wouldn't be too concerned, um, but I wouldn't go up to my 135 anytime soon. You know, with them goons out there, you know what I'm saying? Because they can go ahead and knock you silly with one punch. And you don't want to be – he's going he, – once he starts fighting dudes who really have some skills, it might be troublesome because they are more accurate and they can place their shots better and they just set him up for something. But at 130, I think that he'll be all right. You guys have anything else on my boy Navarrete? No, sir. No, sir. Yeah, he's starting to be one of my favorites right there, though. You know what I'm saying? Now, this fight, the other fight that was on the undercard, you had Arnold Barbosa and Jose Pedraza. They fought, you know, um, in an interesting fight. You had California versus uh, Puerto Rico. What did you guys think about that? Uh, it, was a, it was a decent fight. More of a showcase for Barbosa. You know, Jose Pedraza, we, we've seen him in fights with uh, – with uh, uh with Tank Davis and Lomachenko. So we know he's he's game even in, in losing efforts. Uh, and he kind of showed some of that that even in this fight where uh Barbosa had to use his legs to move around Pedraza. Uh and Pedraza, you know, early on was able to 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 land some some jabs. Uh, just that Barbosa started timing uh Pedraza in I believe around the second round and, and catching Pedraza. Uh, so Barbosa would do this one, two and, and, and move. Uh, well, I think Barbosa's problem is going to be moving forward, uh, as we've seen even in the Pedraza fight, is that sometimes he seems to be a stick and mover and he, and he lacks a little bit of power. Um, and it's things that he does that just makes me believe that, man, somebody who can figure out his rhythm was going to get him. 
because uh, even in this fight, to me, I think Barboza kind of – he was able to do what he did against Pedraza because, you know, he had the size advantage over Pedraza. Um, and, and, and Pedraza at this point is kind of more so gatekeeper status. I'm going to show you – this. I'll show you if you is going to be somebody in, in, in this weight class. Um, and even um, – in this fight, Pedraza did have his moments where I think it was around round five where he kind of was trying to make some things happen. Uh, but Barboza was able to, you know, shut a lot of that down. Um, and Barboza, I, I, I don't think he believes for some reason, like I said earlier, he, he doesn't seem to believe in his power a, a lot. You know? <laughs> so it'll be interesting seeing him going forward. Now he was able to, to outbox uh Pedraza over the you know the full fight uh but I think that that's gonna play out further especially in this weight class when you consider you know stepping up these guys like uh Progray and Josh Taylor and and Tiffany Lopez around I think that's gonna be this is gonna be interesting fights and it's almost like he he's he's in the same space that uh Tim Zhu is was at before he started getting the, the some of the, his other fights he's been getting um, but it was still a, a decent showcase performance by Barbosa. Uh, he approves the 27 and 0, 10 knockouts, and Pedraza drops to 29 and 4 and 1 with 14 knockouts. So, what are your thoughts on it, uh, this fight, Will? Yeah, you know, Sean, um, you kind of took discredit of some of the stuff my main man was able to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he did some good things. It just it wasn't like, all I'm seeing when I look at him, like, man, somebody else could take advantage of all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, uh, see, what's wrong with a good fighter? You know, uh, uh, Pedraza. Pedraza's a good fighter. I just think that for him, he was fighting somebody that was younger, somebody who moves, and I don't think, if he has to lead, lead and be on the front foot, that's not really his game because he's not a power puncher like that. And it, it turned out to be just a good workmanlike victory for Barbosa. But he's, I mean, it's, it's levels to everything. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but what I like about him is the fact that he wants to test his, his metal. He wants to see. He wants pro grace. He wants um, Tiafimo. And I think that he'll give Tiafimo all that he can have. I think that if they put him in there, because him and Tiafimo are supposed to fight on December 10th. If they'd had him in there with Tiafimo, I think that he'll box Tiafimo ears up. Um, he's one of those type of fighters. The thing with him that's really going to be problematic is the lack of power. You know what I mean? Like at some point, all of that boxing and stuff that he's doing, he has to do so much. He has to exert so much energy to keep you off of him that some guys are just going to be a little bit too much, especially at 140 pounds, at 140 pounds, where you got like the Russells and you got the Pro Grace and, and dudes like that. He, he wouldn't be able to handle Josh Taylor, you know, and, and guys like that because they're just too, too powerful um, to deal with for all 12. And like I said, he just caught a guy. And they like to come forward. Like, so typically a good boxer would be able to deal with that if you had something that's going to put them, stop them in their tracks where they have to worry about what's coming back. And he just doesn't have that. But it's certain matches that I think that he'll do well. He'll feel fair better. Um, but he wants to see. You know what I mean? And, and you just never know. 
you know, maybe he's able to step up to the plate and be able to get one or two of those guys. Maybe he's able to get all of them. You know what I'm saying? You got to get in there to see. He just hasn't had that opportunity. But I just thought in this one, he ran up against a guy who somebody had to take the lead. He's just quicker, faster at this particular point. And Pedraza just took the approach that I'm going to bring the fight to him and try to wear him down and take him into deep waters and see how he fares. He was almost getting to the point where he was starting to be effective. But then Barbosa caught his second win, and he was able to, you know, iron out a pretty wide margin victory, you know. So I can't do anything but tip my hat to him. It wasn't something that was, um, you know, like, wow, like he's he's on center stage now. We need to see more Barbosa. Like he's just, wherever it is he was before the fight, he's still there. You know what I'm saying? And the only way he's going to get his opportunity, if it's, if it's mandated, or he might be able to get somebody. I don't think they're going to keep putting Teofimo in there with guys who are not. They're going to be like true showcase fights, or he's going to go for a title. They can't keep putting him in there where he's fighting guys that aren't kind of tailor-made for him because then he's going to like not be as marketable as he is right now. He would have to fight Barbosa if he had the belt and, and Barbosa is the number one contender. And I think that the other guys, he's not somebody that the other guys that just look at the face unless it's mandated. So that's the, the murky area that he's in right now. But um, the, the way his style is, that's all he can do. It's not, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're trying to do too much and then you end up getting knocked off because you're just trying to be fan friendly and you want you know, people to, to force people to fight you because the demand is high, but that's not your game. So all he can do is what he's doing right now and um, let the chips fall with it, man. Yeah, I thought it was interesting in the first, I would say, four rounds of the fight maybe where Pedraza was using a lot of head movement, but he was getting caught coming in, you know, and while, he, while he's doing that, Barboza, he was establishing his range. He was doing a good job picking his shots. And... Pedraza's head movement became repetitive to the point where Barboza started to time it and land that rear uppercut, which is, you know, when you use your head movement, you want it to make people miss, not to get time to get caught anyway. Um, but in round, around round five, Pedraza moved his head less and attempted to walk him down more. And that aggression, coupled with Barboza losing gas for a little bit, um, made it a lot more interesting to me. I wouldn't say a lot more interesting, but it made it more interesting. But I liked the way Barboza looked in his fight. I thought this was a good next step for him. One thing I liked that he employed was uh, when Pedraza was in Southpaw, I think it was around round six, Pedraza's lead foot was on the outside, so you would think he would be able to get to him closer. But Barboza was beating him to the punch, and it was like it wasn't a one-two he was beating him with. It was a two-one, and it was – and, and it actually kind of forced Pedraza to back up a little bit or back off rather, and then kind of go back to the range that he was at before. I think that the last few rounds uh, were, were very exciting in terms of just them trading. Um, but I thought that the scores were mostly correct. I had Percy scored a 97, 93 Barboza uh, looking forward uh, for him. He, he basically said he either wanted, champions or Teofimo and he feels like he you know he's earned it uh he's 31 and he's uh you know he has a, a very good record but the thing is he's not top 10 in the WBA or the IBF 
he's eighth in the WBC and he's fourth in the WBO. And so he's not really in the running on that championship level. I thought him and Tiafimo would have been a good fight and would still be a good fight, but it didn't work out before. And I don't see Lopez necessarily, you know, coming to, hey, let's let's fight voluntarily, you know, at this point. Um, a few names I have in mind for him next that can maybe move him up the rankings. You got uh, Jose Ramirez, if he'll take that fight. I know he has one coming up, but maybe Jose Ramirez down the road. Uh, Liam uh, Perro, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's ranked pretty high in the WBO. Um, you got Sergey Lipinets. And if he wants to really dare to be great, this would be a tough one for him. But, hey, Martin, Sandro Martin, that might be that might be a good fight. You know, and Martin, you know, he'll be looking to bounce back after that that Lopez loss, which some people thought that he won. But uh, all in all, I thought it was a good performance from him. Do you guys have anything else in terms of the uh, fight itself or his future? Uh, that, that looked like the worst fight to see ever. <laughs> oh my god! You tell me they were the fight. He's trying to get a good nap in. But you would just know. praise my man Barbosa. <laughs> I'm praising him, but I'm saying Styles make fight. And Martin. Yeah, I mean, you'll fight him. I'm just saying. Fight a year. Yeah, I mean, if you fight, oh, who's going to leave? You know what I'm saying? Like, they both like the box. And it's like, oh, my God. I don't even know. I don't get sick thinking about this, right? You know what I'm saying? I hear you, but but think about it though. Like, who else are they going to fight? Because Martin might not get another championship opportunity, and then uh, Barboza's in a spot where he's not ranked high enough to really get any favorable matchups by any of these sanctioning bodies. So it's almost like, yeah, the fans might not like it, but it might be mutually beneficial for one of their careers, and it might make the most sense. I would have to get back with you on that, but because I don't have the information in front of me, I'm just saying what he's gonna. Let's say, for instance, he does. They both decide to do that. This is mutually beneficial to both of us, as far as our rankings and positioning ourselves for a belt. But from a marketing standpoint, that's gonna plummet whatever marketability that he has. Like people are gonna watch that and be like, "Man, I'll never want to see this dude again." You know what I'm saying? I'm quite that the heck out of it. Martin or Barbosa, you understand what I'm saying? But they want to tell you watch these uh, chamomile, people start calling chamomile Barbosa, you understand me? But I feel you. Anybody else get anything? No. <laughs> well, moving forward, we're going to, we have one prediction for next week's fight. Uh, we mentioned his name earlier, Ray Vargas. He's moving up to uh, possibly be on his Navarrete, and what I mean by that, I mean he might become a three-division world champion. Uh, there is a vacant belt, but he has to go through Oshaki Foster to get it. Uh, what do you guys think? How do you guys think this is going to play out? Oh, okay, cool. So you got, like you said, you got uh, Ray Vargas, who's 36, 22, uh, I'm sorry, 36 0 with 22 KOs. He is five seven and a half with a seven and a half inch reach out of Mexico. And Oshaki is 19-2 with 11 KOs. He is five eight and a half, 72 inch reach. His birthplace is uh Texas. He fights out of H time. Um this fight right here, um, you got two 
highly skilled boxers. Uh, Vargas is already a two division champion. I like Vargas because he has this, uh, he's, he's different than most of the Mexican fighters that you see. He doesn't fight with what Triple G would call the Mexican style. He fights, um, he's, he's taught by Nacho Bernstein, who's one of the best trainers in boxing. He has an awkward style that's well-rounded. Um, he takes his time, fights from the outside. He's very rangy. And then Foster's on a nine-fight win streak, and he hasn't lost since 2017. He's picked up some really um, big victories for him, you know, position himself to be the number one contender. You got Vargas who's coming off that night, well, 12 round decision victory, majority decision against Mark Exciter. He was uh, doing really well, got dropped in the night, but I like what I saw in that fight against Mark Exciter. He just does the, ne the, the, the necessities uh, in order to gain a victory against his opponents. Um, he was able to land some nice, one twos from the outside against Mark Masayo, stay out of range, you know, of Mark Masayo's um, power punches for the most part, with the exception of the ninth round. And he was uh, victorious and he won that second belt at 126 pounds, uh, the 126 pound weight division. This fight is going to take place in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. And I think that this fight, although you know, Foster is, is it will be bigger um, because he's fought at the 130-pound weight class for longer. What, what troubles me about him is he's not that hard to hit. The fights that I've seen him win, he, um, he, he, he he's a good boxer. Right? I say he's a talented boxer. He's just not hard to hit. And those guys were really catching him with some nice shots from time to time, you know, more so than you would think from somebody who's a skilled boxer. So also the level of opposition, I think Vargas has fought the tougher opposition, obviously being a two-time world champion, although they were smaller people and smaller fighters, um, I think that's going to bode well for him in his fights. I think the experience, he's just a little bit more technically sound than Foster. Foster might have like a little bit of quickness advantage. He might. Um, it's hard to tell until both combatants get inside the ring and they face off against each other. Um, but just on film, he looks like he could be. But I don't think he's just as precise as Vargas. Vargas, he doesn't look like much to you, but once you see him, you match him up against, you know, different type of fighters, like the McSyle fight. If you just looked at Vargas in his fights against the fighters that he was facing prior to that, and you looked at McSyle, you probably would lean towards McSyle. But he just has that awkwardness that you can't get a beat on like you just can't really muster up what it is you need to muster up in order to beat him. He it's a it's a smart awkwardness that he has to. And I don't think, and I think if Mark Mark Messiah wasn't able to um be victorious against him, and I think he's a better fighter than Foster. Like I say, although Foster is bigger, I don't think that side is gonna really play a factor in this one. I think that um when it's all said and done, that Vargas is gonna be raising his hand. 12 round unanimous decision and he'll add another belt you know to his other two and I think that he's going to be a competitive guy at 130 um, just like some of the other guys because again a 130 pound weight class just isn't filled with punchers you know what I'm saying and as long as he's not in danger like that where somebody can clip him and put him away I think that he, he's going to be okay against anybody that he's facing 
uh, with the exception of the elites. You know what I mean? Like I said, of course, Stevenson was still there, then that'd be a different story. But I think that he's competitive against anybody. And I just think that this fight right here is going to be one in which he's going to collect another belt and he'll position himself to be able to fight, you know, one of the other champions and possibly add on to the belt that he's going to collect next week. What do you guys think? Yeah, to expound on what you were saying, you know, Foster, he's fought as high as 140. And, and Vargas, he started his career at Bantamweight and then spent most of his career at 122 before he moved to 126. And that's where he fought twice at that weight division and beat uh, Maxayo. And so, uh, you know, this will be one of the few times he'll be giving up both the height and the reach advantages. And it'll definitely be more of a step up in opposition for Foster than it will be for him. Um, you know, he has two career losses, but they came to Samuel Tia in 2015 and Orlando Shania in 2016. Shania, um, he was actually arrested for aggravated assault in 2017, spent several months in jail. And then that's when he moved to Houston, changed trainers, and he hasn't lost since then. I think that starting out that size advantage with the size advantage foster is naturally going to give vargas problems in those earlier rounds and attempt to be the aggressor um and you know vargas he's going to have to overcome that but i think that he's slick enough and experienced enough to do it and by the middle rounds he will have gotten a good idea of how to manage that distance and i think he'll use his slickness to get inside and start taking over I think he's going to win by unanimous decision. Um, I think it's going to be a good fight overall, uh, but I think that overall uh, he's just going to have more to show for himself than Foster will. Yeah, I agree with what both of you guys are, are, are saying. You know, Mark Masayo, he has his, his awkward style. He doesn't necessarily just come forward. He uses length a lot, and he he – He's able to counter punch and, and move around, which are attributes that you know Nacho Berenstein does teach. Oshaki Foster, he's kind of a he's a boxer, but he isn't really that slick. Like he is, you know, hittable. Uh, and we even when we look at his last fight that he won, I mean, he was he was open to be hit by you know certain right hands that I thought that he shouldn't have been getting hit with. I mean, clean right hands, like right, where he didn't even try to really block it all the way. So it'll be an interesting dynamic. But one thing I do think Oshaki does have in his favor is that size is that, you know, Ray Vargas, you know, uh, I haven't seen him fight the way they have the, those, those attributes over a bigger opponent where, because, because up to this point, Ray Vargas, he's always the bigger man. He's a, he's normally the, the longer man. And, and normally he could, he's able to use his distance and move. And uh, he has these long arms that he, he can keep, you know, certain guys at bay, just like he was doing with Mark Masayo and catching Mark Masayo coming in. With Foster, it'll be interesting because Vargas may have to lead, and I think that's where the trouble may come in. Uh, and plus, I think that size advantage is going to come into play, even though Vargas is much more um, talented than, than, than Foster. And for those reasons, I think it's going to be an upset. I'm picking Oshaki Foster to win his fight by split decision. Anything else you want to share? No, I, I don't. I respect okay. it. Nothing is cheered though. Yeah, respectfully. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I just, I'm just glad I'm going to have me a um, little league going to 
12 weeks, you understand me? <laughs> Somebody yeah. gotta do it. So move right along, Will. I I see we got some news that have been happening over the the last week, man. Which what we got? Man, we got some updates right now. I'm gonna start with the NBA. You see that Kyrie Irving has just been traded to the Dallas Mavericks, you know, for Dorian Finley and Spencer Dinwiddie. And then um, they're going to get, the Mavericks are going to get Markeith Morris and Kyrie Irving. So that's the news out of the basketball world. You know, I just wish that Kyrie could have went ahead and uh, got back with the GOAT. You understand what I'm saying? But uh, also, Eddie Hearn is saying that the rematch is going to be set for Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor for May 20th in Dublin, Ireland. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, what we'll discuss today in the news is the press conference that took place. I want to say that was Thursday. It was a very contentious press conference between Caleb Plant and David Benavidez. What were your, you fellas' thoughts on that? Um, how like, agitated David appeared to be in that press conference? Yeah, he was agitated. All right. And it's like uh, these guys obviously don't like each other. <laughs> I mean, it's been going on for years. This is not like, oh, we have a fight and now I don't like you or I have a problem with you. This has been going on for years where these guys should have fought years ago. and They just don't like each other. They don't mix. Um, but David Benavidez is it's interesting because. When I look at him, he's he's the more dangerous fighter than Caleb Plant to me. When I look at them both, and that he's more feared than Caleb Plant. But when you look at the press conference, he doesn't really carry himself like he's that feared. He just says it like I'm feared, I'm tough, I'm more macho. Normally, guys that are that feared, they may they may say some things and be like, yeah, I just, I'm beat you up. But they're more confident about what they're saying. They're not agitated and trying to fight you, you know, like outside a podium is like, Hey man, this, the, the fight is not happening until this certain date, man. Don't mess up the, you know, don't mess up the money. You know, they've been about to get up and slap in the podium. Uh, but, but, but when you look at the facts, though, a lot of what David Benavidez, you know, what, what they, they both have great points and what they say is true. You know, David Benavidez points, you know, Caleb Plant did taste the canvas, you know, even though it's against a great fighter in Canelo, he, he tasted the canvas. You know, um, and sometimes kid a plant can carry himself a certain way where you you, you can seem like, man, he's got just a, a squirmy guy, regardless of who, who he really is. And to, you know, uh, <laughs> Plant's point, he's like, yeah, David Benavidez did test positive for Coke. You know what I'm saying? He, he, do, he do be losing his belts on for stuff that's like clearly in his control and not because of somebody else beat him or anything like that. So it was a contentious, contentious press conference it's just that i don't know i don't know if i i, I liked it because it, even though some people might find it entertaining but it doesn't it seems like it just it's just a weird mix it's almost like these press conferences today when guys won't have issues with each other it just it just seems different it doesn't seem like you know when james tony had issues with you know roy jones or when chris eubank senior and nigel ben you know, Chris Eubank Sr. was just naturally arrogant and like, yeah, I just want your title. I could beat you. You're not, you're not better than me. And Nigel Ben, you know, being a, a real, you know, exemplifying real macho status saying, you know what, man, I, I really don't like you. I, I do hate you. I hate you for real. You know, you know, these guys didn't see, he didn't see like he wanted, he was going to slap 
uh, Christian Page Sr. like outside or anything like that. So it was an interesting press conference. I just can't wait to this fight in the first round. I mean, just to see that tension and see them let that tension out. And hopefully David Benavidez don't let all that 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 tension out before the fight. Yeah, it was it came off like a little fake tough guy to me. Like that's, that's the vibe I was getting from him. Like it, the way he was like turning up and, you know, even the fact that like, if if you paid attention, it looked like he was reading some of his notes from the phone, like stuff like that. It's just like you're, you're reading from the phone and then you have all this anger that almost seems manufactured past your, your disdain for Caleb plant. Um, I get it in the sense that you have to get people interested and people love watching drama. People love a train wreck. Um, Maybe it was some of that and and him wanting to be more of a name um, because, you know, that is what gets people interested. You know what I mean? Um, So I get it. But as a person that doesn't really need that to watch the fight, like I was going to be there anyway, I wasn't a fan of those antics necessarily. I thought Caleb Plant handled it pretty well on his end. Um, but I, I thought that Benavidez was doing a lot. Obviously, you know, it's going to get settled in the ring, but just based on what I saw, I was like, all right, bro, like, what are you trying to prove here? Yeah, I think he's a light. He just, people handle things differently, and that's just how he was going to give it up. You know what I mean? He's He's to the point where you know, I think they were to the point where they're about to fight before. And, you know, he's one of them type of dudes. I think he would be that same way with Charlo. I don't think he likes him, and he's going to have to be held back anytime that they're around each other. He's just one of those type of dudes. And, you know, I also don't think he really respects Caleb Plant. Not, I'm talking about as a person. Now, as a fighter, he probably does, but he just don't respect him as a person. Like, we just got to get it, get down every time we see each other or we got to get this off our chest, you know what I'm saying? And then maybe we can move forward from, from there. And that's the way he comes up across to me because the way he wouldn't even let Plant talk, like Plant would try to say something, he was calling them names and this and that. And that's how, if he's faking it, it's hard to keep up that fakeness like every time, you know what I'm saying? Like he just don't have anything good to say about the brother, uh, Plant. And then Plant doesn't seem like he. It looks like Plant doesn't like him, but Plant is more reserved. Like they just have different personalities. And Plant is like, yeah, we don't like each other, but you know, it's gonna get settled in the ring. Like he, he Plant just went through this with with the dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that. I gotta go through this again. These dudes like don't let me talk and cut me off and all of this type of stuff. Come on, bro. You know how this go. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to settle it in a ring. And so that's what I think. But as far as why he doesn't like Plant, I think Plant says a little slick stuff here and there. Um, they had that moment where – and then Plant is accusing his father of something that he made a comment about his daughter. And then his father saying that he didn't say that. And then David Benavidez is like, dude, is lying. He's a liar. You know, so – it's just, it's, it's a mess. Hopefully, you know, it's going to be one of them fights. It's kind of like when Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson was going to fight each other and they had to have, like, cages. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they can't have them, like, you yeah, know. They're going to have a police, they had a security, a police officer <laughs> separate the ring. Oh, that's all this stuff, man. But, you know, it's one of them things. The thing for Plant, though, 
is like I said, he's been through this before where he has somebody who really don't like him and he stayed cool and calm, but it's a different fighter. But the good thing is he's gone through all of this before. You know, with Benavidez, it could be a situation where he might overtrain because that anger is like, it's hard. Like when you that mad and if you don't know how to like, like control it, you know, and just let it be for that night, like build it, build it up that night. Don't let it get to you where you overtrain or you're doing stuff too reckless, you know, and things of that nature. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see moving forward. But I love it, man. I, I'd rather have this than dudes who have it on me want to fight each other. You know what I'm saying? And you mess around and get you a Barbosa versus a Martin type fight. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely not going to be no Barbosa Martin. It's going to be. You know, it's gonna be you gonna be on the edge of your seat each and every round. Um, <laughs> you know what? Both, you, bring, you bring it up. Um, if Barbosa has some power, he would actually fight a little bit like Caleb Plant. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to see um, Caleb Plant fight a Martin type fighter. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just it's good because this right here is is a perfect match. You got dude who boxes. You know what I'm saying? He can move. He's slick. He's he's cool and calm under pressure. And then you got somebody who is that volume puncher who just bring the smoke, got power. You know what I'm saying? Non-stop rock and socket robots. Beautiful matchup there. You know what I mean? It's hard to have. Typically in a matchup like this, typically it goes to the boxer. You know what I'm saying? In these particular moments because you know what Benavides is going to do. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to be a matter if you can go ahead and keep them off for you for all 12. But, you know, and then especially with how he's training now, or how he's looking with, with Breadman, um, they could be working up, whipping up a nice little game plan for, for Benavides. But people say that Benavides does a lot more than what you see inside of those um, training sessions that he had with all of those big top-level guys that he's been facing since he's been 15 years of age. So we'll see. He's going to have to pull it out against Plant. The Plant that fought against uh, the dog, he's game against anybody, man, you know. But that's all I got. You guys have anything else on that intriguing matchup that's going to take place tonight? Just can't wait. Yes, sir. We're the Bart Scott. No, I think that wraps things up as far as uh, the news. You know, you can check, I say, every Thursday, I plan on doing something like a little weekly wrap-up. And again, I know, man, you know, if you fellas can join, that would be greatly appreciated. But I know how the work schedule goes. I know how I am, like, putting that thing together. You know, I get some really good sleep, you know, but at the same time, I feel like um, it's important to get our words out, get our message out, because, you know, you got three knowledgeable people when it comes to the sport of boxing. Um, I just want to say shout out to those people who are subscribing to our YouTube page and then also the people that continues to listen, you know, each and every week to this podcast. So shout out to you all. Anything else you guys have um, before we close? Yeah, just wanted to uh, throw out the, the channels while we edit, you know, uh, what to be specific. Uh, youtube.com slash at last ones at the bar is our channel for that and definitely check us out because we post some other things as well um so yeah just check us out man underdog uh podcast network apple spotify twitter instagram last ones at the bar yes sir that's that's a perfect segue to closing this one out um hopefully you enjoyed it we plan on being back you know i can't promise next week we'll see you know but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Boston real soon. On that note, we out. Peace. Peace.